Good morning. I'm Pastor Eric Samborski. Thank you for tuning in to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You know, there's such a fervor now of wanting to be a part of an important cause, and we're going to be talking about the most important cause and resistance effort that you could ever be a part of. So for the next five weeks, we will be going through a series that talks about resistance. We'll start today with an overview of this series and then dive into what it means to resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Now let's enter the briefing. Are you tired of corruption, tyranny, and injustice? There's a lot of corruption that's around us. We can see corruption in government. We can see corruption in religious institutions. We see corruption in business and all. And I think it's even more out in the open right now. Uh, We see it in the government. It's all over the news. You can't get away from it. This COVID-19 circumstance has brought out some overreach of powers from the government. We see money going into politicians' pockets at the expense of Americans. And not even just now in this present time, but we can look back a little while. We can see federal government corruption during the Watergate scandal with Nixon. We see the Hillary Clinton emails. We see the NSA whistleblower, Edward Snowden, and how some of these things that were hidden for a little while have come right out into the light and people don't like it. And then we think about locally in our government. Not too long ago here in Wilkes-Barre, there was that whole kids for cash uh, corruption scandal between the two judges. And the history of Wilkes-Barre bears out that there's been a long history of corruption here. We've seen it. There's been corruption inside of religious institutions that's come out. But not just, you know, here in America, we can look around, even with tyrannical leaders in, say, North Korea, Kim Jong-un, who puts his people under such an oppressive, tyrannical uh, regime, and they have no freedoms. We look at that and, and we revolt against that. We see Fidel Castro and how he's treated the Cubans. It's something in us that we just don't like. But, you know, We see injustice even just through our dealings with our next door neighbor, even with our family members, maybe business dealings with our customers. We see all that injustice. And you know, it seems to have come up to such a pitch right now that I think the cry of our day is resistance against all of this. We don't want this anymore. This is not America. This is not who we are. This is not what I want. This is not what I want for my kids. And so we cry out, no more of this. We don't want any more of this. You know, a great one once said, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. In other words, we have the greatest influence over ourselves. We may not be able to influence these politicians in high places. We may never have a chance to stand in front of them and speak. But every one of us has the chance to deal with ourselves because the problem starts with us. If we can resist that corruption in ourselves, 
then maybe we can leaven society with a better heart, with better virtues. So if we really desire to resist corruption, tyranny, and injustice, we must first resist that in ourselves. So you may be asking, how do I do that? First, you need to resist sin. So many people think this, well, at least I'm not a murderer. At least I'm not cheating on my spouse. At least I'm not a money laundering politician. And so we kind of excuse ourselves. We salve our conscience because we think that we're not quite as bad as somebody else. But you know, God has given us the Ten Commandments, which is his holy standard that not one of us can get out of. We will all be judged by these. So I just want to go through these. These are found in Exodus chapter 20 for any of you that might want to look at this. But Ten Commandments, let's look at the first one. There's to be one God, there's no other God before me. So God has to have your highest allegiance. You can look around and find that God is not the highest allegiance of some people. And you should ask yourself that question. Is, does God have my highest allegiance or is there somebody else or something else that I would make my decisions based off of rather than the standard of God and the person of God? Really close to this, God says there is to be no graven images. You're not to make a statue of, of God and worship it. And you may think, well, that seems a bit archaic, especially in our Western American culture. We're not really uh, worshiping statues and whatever, although there may be some of that going on here. Let's just bring it a little closer to home. We're not worshiping the one true God, but we're making a God to our own liking, and then we're worshiping and serving our own made-up God. In other words, I don't like the God of judgment. I don't like a God who tells me what to do. So I'd like to make a different kind of a God than, the, than that God that's revealed in the Scripture, and then I would go ahead and worship this fabrication that I've made that makes me feel more comfortable with my sin. That's idolatry just the same. Next commandment says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In other words, don't use God or Jesus' name like a cuss word. Also, don't use God's name without discerning and understanding its meaning. You know, we all say, OMG. And I say, we all say that, but some people say, OMG, oh my God. And they, they say it like that, but they're not crying on God. They're not seeking Him. They just speak these words without meaning. That is a breaking of the third commandment. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sunday really has become a day where we forget God. It wasn't too long ago, I used to live in Massachusetts, that they had blue laws where stores were closed down on Sundays. Well, that's gone. I think that was fairly widespread throughout the United States. But now Sunday's become a day where we forget God. They have sports events on Sundays. We like to binge on sports watching. We like to maybe continue to do some work because we didn't get everything done we'd like to, or maybe we're done with you know the, the work that brings money in home, and we have some things that we need to catch up on around the house. And so Sunday's really just become the free-for-all day, and we've forgotten God. Fifth commandment says, honor thy father and thy mother. I don't think there needs to be a whole lot of commentary on that. We, we look around and we see that this generation of children don't respect mother and father. Really, families have been destroyed wholesale, but there's such a lack of honor and respect towards mother and father. And that's one of the Ten Commandments that's broken all the time, and it's almost 
laughable to think that we should even have to do that in this generation. Uh, another Ten Commandment, the sixth one says, thou shalt not kill. Jesus, however, took that commandment and brought it right down to home, because you may say, well, I haven't killed anybody. But Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards somebody else without any good cause, if you have an anger in your heart towards somebody else, you've already committed murder there already. In other words, you're so angry inside, you you would do it except for societal restraints and repercussions. The, that, that seed of murder is already within. Thou shalt not commit adultery is the seventh. And Jesus did the same with this one. He took it from, well, oh, I've never cheated on my husband, or I've never cheated on my wife. Well, Jesus said, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust, and I like to make application here that it's not just a woman, it's a man too. But so say, if you're a woman, you're looking on a man to lust. If you're a man looking on a woman to lust, he said, you've committed adultery in your heart already. We find this next commandment, thou shalt not steal. And you think, well, I, I've never stolen anything, or, or if I did, it was just something small. It wasn't that big of a deal. But the question is, have you stolen anything, irrespective of its value? Uh, some people may say, no, I haven't done that. But what about this? How much pirated music do you have on your computer or your iPhone or your Android phone? How much pirated software do you have on your computer? Pirated movies, anything. Uh, what about when you go into work and you punch in the time clock? Do you punch in and then just kind of do your own thing on the dollar of your employer? These are all uh, akin to stealing. It is stealing. Then we read, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. In other words, don't lie. Have you ever told a lie? And if so, how many lies have you told in your life? Then the last commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. In other words, you want what your neighbor has so bad, you have that attitude of keeping up with the Joneses, even if it's unreasonable. You're working two, three, four jobs just so that you can have all the greatest stuff. That comes from a covetous heart. Also, what's in a covetous heart, you, you despise your neighbor because they have more than you do. You look down at them. You're like, well, they just, they're all rich and they're snobby or whatever we want to say about them. Or we're jealous of our, what our neighbor has, and it just there's this rankling inside of our heart. Those are Ten Commandments. I think that encompasses the relation between us and God and us and our fellow human beings around us, and yet these are broken all the time. You know, it's easy to gratify all of our lusts. There's really no fight to just do whatever we want. That's super easy. Anybody can do that. But if you want to join the resistance against corruption, tyranny, and injustice, you first have to resist your sins. And sin leads to death. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You must resist sin. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. 
You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Next, you must resist self. Today's psychology says we're naturally good. You know, there are some really evil people like murderers, rapists, dictators, etc., but most of humanity is good. Well, what does God say, though? In Isaiah, the first chapter, the fourth through the sixth verses, God says this to Israel, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It appears to be that God disagrees with modern psychology at large. Look at a child. No one needs to teach a young child how to lie. You know, they intuitively just want to hide the wrong that they've done, and then they want to manipulate mom and dad, telling them, you know, things that aren't quite true to get what they want. Nobody has to teach a child to do that. Nobody's got to teach a child to steal something and take what's not theirs. No one has to teach a child how to throw a temper tantrum. Nobody has to teach a child how to hit somebody else out of anger. In fact, it takes all the strength of parents to try and train their children not to do these things. What am I getting at? I mean, I suppose the question really is, where did this come from? Why? Why do children do that? Why do any of us do that? The Bible tells us that we have inherited a corrupt nature through Adam after the fall. So there's nobody that's outside the scope of this corruption that's widespread across humanity. It goes throughout all ethnicities. You may say, well, preacher, I have come face to face with Jesus. I've been saved. I'm born again. I just want to tell you, and I think mainstream Christianity at large would agree on this, even after somebody is radically saved, radically altered by the power of God, and have been forgiven of their sins and are living a new life and they're a new creature in Christ, all you've got to do is just try to live that new life in earnest, and you're well aware that there is still some sort of inward corruption. It doesn't always end up that we just keep doing these wicked sins, but we realize, man, there's such a war inside. It's like I want to and I don't want to all at the same time as it regards doing sin. There's something inside that doesn't make any sense. A lot of people would teach that, well, you just, you get saved, you get radically changed by the Lord, but you know, you're just going to have to carry this old ball and chain of sin along with you all the way until you get to the end. And when you die, then God will take care of that. You know, the scripture says that death is the last enemy. And when people talk the way that I just said, it's almost as if death is looked forward to to take care of this problem of self-corruption, this corrupted self, and that the enemy death has more power over that than Jesus Christ himself. 
And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So if you want to be part of the resistance against corruption, tyranny, and injustice, you're going to have to resist, you must resist your corrupt self-centeredness, that carnal mind. You must have your old man crucified with him, with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth you should not serve sin. You're not resisting what you've done or will do, but you're resisting who you are. You're resisting that corrupt disposition in heart. If you want to be a part of the resistance, then you have to resist that corrupt self-centeredness. The next thing that we have to resist if we're going to be a part of God's resistance, is the devil. We've got to resist the devil. The great deception in our day is that there is no devil. But if you listen to somebody like Richard Wormbrand, who went through 14 years of communist prison and torture, here's what he had to say. I have seen communists torturing Christians and the faces of the torturers shone with rapturous joy. They cried out while torturing the Christians, we are the devil. You can ask anybody that's been in a situation like Nazi Germany or communist Romania, Russia, and they will tell you they've seen the devil face to face. They know that there's a devil. And I'm, t- I'm here to tell you that there is a devil. And he hates Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed why the name of Christ is so hated above all other religions? In the, in the days of tolerance, that, he is the one person that's not tolerated. The Christian is the one person that has extreme intolerance hurled at him. Why? Because the devil has a vehement hatred towards Christ. He hates not only Christ, but all of his followers. The devil hates people. He hates morality. He hates children. He hates marriage. He hates family. He hates any semblance of order. He just hates everything good. He doesn't care also if you don't believe in him. In fact, that makes his job a little bit easier. Then he can kind of come in under the radar. The very fact that people do not believe in him makes it easier for them to be his pawns. Now he can use you without you even knowing because you don't even believe he exists. He is cunning. He brings all manner of lies and trickery with him. And the devil tries to cloud your mind and tempt you toward evil and stir you up against God and humanity. He is the tormentor of those that do love God. So we think about resistance. Do you want to resist corruption, tyranny, and injustice? Well, then you must resist the devil. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570 362-7782. Finally, in God's resistance, we must resist the world. We are told that the devil is the prince of this world. 
So that helps us to understand a little bit of what this world is if that nefarious devil is in charge of this world, is prince and king over this world. The Bible tells us that the world is controlled by the devil. He's the god of the world, and he's the prince of the power of the air. He is the leader of the masses of people that do not love God. The Bible tells us that the world is at enmity with God. Enmity meaning literally a state of hostility towards God. The world is hostile towards God. The world and its systems and its ambitions and its values are hostile towards God. Do you follow Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible tells us to the Christian, friendship with the world makes you an enemy to God, makes you hostile against God. If we are a friend with the world, we're told that the world is no friend to God. There's something that's very deadening to our spirit when we drink in the spirit of this world. And the longer we steep in this world, the longer we steep in its values and its entertainments and all the the things the world has to offer for us, the longer we steep in it, the more deadening it gets. A great preacher, Keith Daniel, once said, we cannot win the world by becoming like the world. Instead, the world wins you. The world has its own set of ambitions and values, and the Christian is not of this world, but is part of another kingdom. The world, by the power of the devil, has taken territory that does not belong to it. You know, Jesus was promised in the Psalms that he would receive the inheritance of the heathen. This world belongs to Christ. It's his inheritance. And yet, when we look around with our eyes, it looks to be exactly the opposite. Believer, don't let the world mold you. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Believer also, not only do you have to resist the world from infecting and and being in part of your heart and your desires, but you look around and you see that there are people that are stuck in the clutches of this world, and we're to seek to rescue those that are stuck in the clutches of this present evil world. We're to do that by praying for those that are lost, praying and not uh, praying for our family members, our our the people we work with, government, any anybody. We're also to live like a Christian, to be obedient to Christ according to the scriptures so that we look like a city set on a hill, so that we are literally the salt of this earth. We need to speak the truth. You know, if we can pray and be in living touch with God and if we can live in such a way that is like a, a walking epistle to the world, then our words have weight. And if we love, we need to truly love people, not this mushy-gushy kind of love that you and I hear so much about in evangelical circles, but the true love of Christ. Christ hates sin, and yet he still loves sinners. We need to love people like he does. And if you are going to resist corruption, tyranny, and injustice, then you must resist this world in yourself and work to free others from its stupefying and deadly grasp. You may be asking, how do I join this resistance? Well, the fulfillment of God's resistance is found in salvation through Jesus Christ. So if you've broken God's law, the Ten Commandments, you are guilty before the judge of all the earth. 
And in order to God have in order for God to have mercy on your disobedience and rebellion, he provided a substitute in your place. You see, if God ignored sin, then we would be emboldened to keep on sinning and his law would bring no fear. If God wasn't merciful, then we would have no hope. And God did not ignore sin, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus provided a substitute for our deserved penalty. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We see a God who's unwilling that any should perish. He allowed his son to die for us to show us that sin does not go ignored. Why did a sinless, spotless Christ die in my place when he was innocent? The answer is so that God can uphold the strength of his law while being rightfully and mercifully able to provide pardon, peace, and purity to you if only you will repent of your sins and trust in Christ to save you. That's how you enter into God's resistance. But then how do I maintain this walk in God's resistance? And what are the qualifications for me to join this fight to take back my family, my friends, neighbors, and the world back to King Jesus. Well, this same Jesus, this same Christ gave his life for the church that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. If only you'll die to yourself and give him all your perceived and real good, both now and forever, he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his weed into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff of carnal self with unquenchable fire, sanctifying you wholly and baptizing you with the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of God's Resistance. Where are you in your journey in the Great Resistance? Have you resisted sin in yourself by repenting of your sins and trusting Christ to save you? Do you long to live a deeper spiritual life, but you just can't seem to because carnal self is like a cancer wrapped up in all that you do? Has the devil been bringing a full-on assault against you, threatening your very soul? Have you found it hard to know which way is the straight and narrow path with that constant pressure of a God-hating world around you? Are you concerned about souls around you that are trapped in the clutches of the devil in the world? Please tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. as we will discuss more in depth what it means to resist sin. If you would like a copy of this broadcast, or if you need someone to talk or pray with you, please contact us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen sa forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code now to all you listeners out there join the resistance god's resistance (laughs) 